Justin, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep. Diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey everybody, hope you had a great weekend, a uh, big weekend here in Houston with the Final Four and the Astros getting going. We're going to talk some Astros on this podcast for sure. It is a Utopia football podcast, so obviously we'll be hitting football as well. Welcome in. This is the first episode of this week as we record on Monday lunchtime-ish. Uh, I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast Sports Radio 610, joined as always by my good friend, the Hall of Famer, our senior Texans columnist at SportsRadio610.com, and of course, gallerysports.com john mcclain john i hope you had a great weekend is it nice to be back from phoenix in the owners meetings last week i have a blast every time i go to phoenix when the owners have their meeting at the biltmore which is old old money hotel i love it there it's spread out it's just it's just a great place weather was fabulous it's so informal during the league meetings you can talk to people and they're not so tight you couldn't drive a pin up their butt with a sledgehammer and it's fun then we come back of course it's all about the draft but i had a great time doing that i had a great time at the combine astros spring training i'm fired up about the astros watch all the women's basketball game big kim Malky fan for obvious reasons i'm glad she won i would have had no problem if iowa won i think as we were talking about off the air having the controversy with Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark's best thing that's happened to college basketball, because I know you and Seth talked about it. Everybody all over the country's talked about it. And anytime you're talking about women's college basketball beyond the championship game, that's good for the sport. I think the WNBA wishes they could have that kind of attention. And I can't wait to see Caitlin Clark, could have two years of eligibility remaining, and I'm guessing just about everybody in the state of Iowa would kick in an NIL to keep her in school because she could make more money off an NIL than she could in WNBA. Yeah, I, I would think if there's power brokers across college basketball that like women's basketball, they'd chip into that NIL too Ooh, for the exact reasons. Yes. The exact yes. reason you just said, John. You know, it's bringing eyeballs to the sport. You know, I could see. I know this from growing up in Connecticut. There are a lot of women's basketball fans where I grew up because the UConn program has been, you know, the best. It's arguably been the greatest program in the history of the sport historically with Gino Oriema. There are probably people who are specifically women's basketball fans who, if they had to chip into an NIL just to keep Caitlin Clark around, it would be wise to do so because she's she's fun to watch, too. That's the thing. It's not just that. It's not just that she accomplished some things and her team pulled off one of the greatest upsets at that stage of the tournament ever in the Final Four because this South Carolina team was supposed to be just a world – and they were. They were really, really good, but they caught them on the right day. She's fun to watch, too. She's got some personality, and obviously the personality is what drew out or at least called attention to the personality in Angel Reese at LSU. And uh, – I don't know, John. Like, I have no problem with the taunting. I have no problem with the trash talk. The only thing I think might have crossed the line, but not enough to where I can get angry about it, is Angel Reese's team had just won the national championship. They're all celebrating. And Angel Reese is focused on following Caitlin Clark and stalking her around the court, doing the John Cena you can't see me and doing the ring point and whatnot. I, part of me is like, okay, you, you just want go celebrate with your team, by God. 
Yeah, I was wondering what Caitlin Clark had done to her that made her feel that way. They kept talking about the disrespect that Clark showed South Carolina's guards by not guarding them. Well, the bottom line was they were getting eaten up inside, and the coach told them, drop off, you know, cover the paint, let the guards try to shoot. But it was fun. Uh, I'm happy for Mulkey. I couldn't believe she took over a losing team. She had won 29 games, lost, I think, in the second round in her first year, and now wins the national championship. Nobody expected that, but good for her. That's four. And I'll tell you something else I just found out. By the way, if anybody's going to contribute to an NIL to keep Caitlin Clark there, it should be ESPN. Yeah. Because they televise women's games. And that's going to be really highly rated because they put it on ABC, which was very smart. And they're the ones that just wanted to stay in the most. Mm-hmm. And the men, and you, I'm sure you know this, if the if the University of Connecticut men win another national championship, that's five. And that was more than all the blue blood programs have won since UConn won the first one under Jim Calhoun, which means they got to be considered a blue blood program now. Yeah, they they should have been anyways, John. I think what I think what has detracted from Connecticut the last few years because they've already won more since 1999 than any other school. Like they've they've won four since 1999. Carolina and Duke have each won three. So if Connecticut wins tonight, which they should, they're going to have five. They'll have a gap of two since 1999. Obviously, Duke won a couple before that. Um, I think Duke has five total. So this will tie Connecticut with Duke and I think Indiana for the most, the most in history. Um, so they, they should be there already. The thing is, they it's almost like they were sent to witness protection or to jail for seven years while they were in the AAC. Um, I think that's the most fascinating thing to me about UConn's run here is that I'll just take it back to 2011 when they won it here last time. Jim Calhoun's last championship. They won it in 2011 with Jim Calhoun. They won it in 2014 with Kevin Ollie. If they win tonight, they'll have won a third one with a third different head coach in Danny Hurley. That, you look at the other teams that have won multiple championships in that same time frame. It was Roy Williams for all three in Carolina. It was Mike Krzyzewski for all three at Duke. Bill Self, even though he won them 14 years apart, was the coach of both Kansas championships. Jay Wright, Billy Donovan, those are all the ones that have won multiple championships since UConn won their first one in 1999. They haven't had to shuffle conferences either any of those schools. Like, they've all been in the same conference. UConn went to the American Athletic Conference because the the tail was wagging the dog with that athletic program, with them following their football program around. And they were stuck in all these rivalries, I'll call it, with Tulsa and Houston and East Carolina and Cincinnati, like all these teams that have no ties to Connecticut, no ties to the Big East, which is a huge part of Connecticut's brand. I think if you kind of just stayed in the Big East and done the same thing for the last seven years, I think they'd still be considered a blue blood, but they were just completely off the grid for seven years. Those are great points. And it's funny, you know, when all the big time programs got eliminated in the tournament, everybody's like, oh my God, they don't have anybody. And here they got the most successful program in the country since 1999, a team that going into the championship, well, the semifinals were they beaten opponents by 22 points a game. Mm-hmm. So they have been big time dominant, won every game by double figures. So, 
Uh, they are definitely the premier program in the country. And for all those reasons you mentioned, different coaches, different conferences, that makes it even more extraordinary. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really interesting story. And even in that time, John, where they went to the AAC, they they got put on they, they had to miss the tournament for a year because of the APR scores. There's an NCAA investigation. So it's like their their journey to get to what will be five, hell, their journey just to get to four, but the journey to get to five will look like nothing we've ever seen in college basketball before. Um, so that'll be tonight. And then, of course, we've got Astros. We'll get to the Astros in just a second. But, John, let's just zero in on some football. I feel like we're kind of in a lull on the draft stuff with all the pro days having been done. We're now getting reports dropped of this guy visiting that team, that guy's visiting this team. I, I had seen a report that Will Levis had already visited the Texans. Had you seen that as well? No, I just know they told us last week three quarterbacks would be in. Okay. Um, and so so we had – I guess I'm we're sorry, doing – four quarterbacks. I yeah, know. so maybe one of them's already been in. Um, is, is there any – Is there, there's no reason for them to add any quarterbacks to the like, – like, we wouldn't expect – like Hendon Hooker is visiting the Saints today. There's no reason to expect Hendon Hooker is going to be visiting the Texans. Like D'Amico has pretty much said in that sit down he did the NFL Network, the, the the clip that was making the rounds last week. There's two quarterbacks at the top of this draft. We really like them, and we need a quarterback. I mean, he all but said they're taking a quarterback with the first two picks or with their yeah, first he, pick, I should say. He told us all that last week in Phoenix when we interviewed him, and he said he had no problem with Bryce Young's size. Now there's a thing making rounds. Peter King wrote about it in his football. Uh, morning in America on uh, Pro Football Talk about there's talk that D'Amico wants Will Anderson Jr. And I'm sure he does. I'm sure he'd love to have Will Anderson Jr. Then I saw another thing on ESPN that if a team waits to go after Lamar Jackson uh, after the draft, then they don't have to give up a high pick this year. They give up two ones the next two years. So the Texans should take Will Anderson Jr. Take Another position player on defense or a big-time receiver with the 12th pick and then go after Lamar Jackson. And I say, yeah, and if you don't get him and it gets matched, you've got Case Keenum and you're still in the same predicament where you need a franchise quarterback. So mm -hmm. there's no guarantee you're going to get Lamar Jackson even if you sign him to an offer sheet. And, and of course, after having Nick Bosa, he'd love to have a great pass rusher. Will Anderson's supposed to be, even though he's very undersized for a defensive end. He's built like Von Miller, and that's the comp we're hearing from everybody. But uh, I'll still be stunned if they don't take a quarterback. I'm going to write a column either for Gallery Sports or Sports Radio 610. We keep talking about Frank Reich's quarterbacks, his history with tall ones. Do you know who else has a history with tall quarterbacks? That's Nick Casario. And we're never going to find out from Nick what he thinks about Bryce Young. But I'm still in my mock drafts going to have it be Stroud and Young, the first two picks. Now, and the whole thing about this guy likes tall quarterbacks or they like prototypical quarterbacks. I mean, is there anybody that we can't say that about over the last few years other than Pete Carroll and Cliff Kingsbury when it comes to head coaches? I mean, the only short quarterbacks, I guess Sean Payton, if you count Drew Brees, but of guys that have been drafted into the league in the last 10 years, I mean, Russell Wilson, and that was a third-round pick. You know, Kyler Murray is the big outlier with a first-round pick, a first-overall pick. I mean, most guys, if you look at them, whether it's GMs or head coaches, they're all taken and playing guys that are 6'3 or taller, you know? 
Well, there are, but also um, in 2001, when Breeze and Vic came out, they were six foot and everybody said they were too short. Mm -hmm. And Vic was drafted first overall because it was a great runner and then turned out, of course, if you know how to coach him, it's not an issue. Plus, Vic was thick. Uh, Kyler Murray's thick. Russell Wilson's thick. Got a big butt. Uh, Drew Brees was not. And uh, uh, Price Young is far from thick. And he's thin. He looks almost frail. Now, how much will that concern Casario? How much will it concern D'Amico? But uh, the guy's special, according to everybody. Most all the draft gurus who I respect the most all have him rated number one over C.J. Stroud, but everybody expects Stroud to go to the uh, Panthers because Frank Reich, is, he hadn't even had a quarterback start regularly for him who was under 6'4". Nobody's 6'3", nobody's 6'2". C.J. Stroud would be the shortest quarterback who started for him regularly. John, what do you think is the most likely scenario? If the Texans were to make a trade on draft night um, of any of their picks, what do you think is the most likely? Trading um, up, trade, I'm going to give you some choices. Trading up from two to one, trading back from two, trading up from 12, trading back from 12, or trading back into the first round with their 33rd pick. Which do you think is the most likely they do? Back from 12. And another thing to consider, we don't know what they think about Hendon Hooker. He's 25 years old. He's not going to play his first year. So he had a 26-year-old rookie. But if he played till he's 35, he played 10 years. Would you take a guy if you turned into a great quarterback for 10 years? Well, of course you would. Could they get him at 12? Yes. Could they get him if they traded back? You know, that's iffy because there's still so many teams that need quarterbacks. So I think in my fourth mock draft, which will come out at the end of this week on Gallery Sports, I'm going to have Hendon Hooker going to Seattle with the Seahawks' second number one pick, 20th hmm. overall. I've had him going to Washington. There's still so many teams that need quarterbacks. I don't know if I buy into Atlanta liking Desmond Ritter. I remember when the Jaguars drafted Blake Bortles. He was never mentioned to them one time. They kept it totally quiet. And when they drafted him, people were shocked. And not many teams were able to do that in this day and age of social media. And so I, I think if you want a quarterback, I don't see the Texans with D'Amico in his first year having Case Keenum as a starter. I know they're not high on Davis Mills anymore. They'll never say that. I'll be surprised if he's on the team. But you talk about a buzzkill. If the Texans were not to take a quarterback with a second pick, all this energy and excitement built up about D'Amico and the draft, you talk about pouring water on it, that would pour water on it. It would. I don't know that it would just – I would blanket say that everybody comes in pissed off on Friday after that, but I would say that that's the odds-on favorite of the emotion. I will say this. If they don't draft a quarterback on Thursday, I'm going to tell you that I put the over-under, and I control this because I do the show right at 6 a.m., the over-under on the number of minutes it would take before Lamar Jackson's name comes up, I would say by 6.04 and 30 seconds on the show. That'll be the topic. Okay, they didn't pick a quarterback, but you've got a franchise quarterback and a former MVP sitting right here. 
is that the move now? You know, they, they're, they're a team that has the cap flexibility to do it. They've got the first round picks to do it. You know, they, they're one of the few teams that has multiple firsts over the next two years. Um, that would pick up steam for me at that point. They, and if they don't take one on Thursday, I've not been somebody who thought it would be a good idea for the Texans to go get Lamar Jackson, because that was before I entertained the idea of taking him after the draft. I didn't like the idea of giving up the second overall pick to get him. If all of a sudden you're signing him and he comes here and you're theoretically your picks are probably going to be in the 20s because I think you become the favorite in the AFC South possibly with Lamar Jackson. Certainly you're right there with Jacksonville with him. Um, I'm a little more in favor of it. I need to know what the money looks like too. If, he, if he's hell-bent on getting $250 million, I don't think I want to do that. But that's that's where if you're trying to keep hope alive, that's where the attention should shift if you're a Texan fan if they don't take a quarterback on Thursday. Yeah, it would. It's interesting if they took Bryce Young, people would be fired up. If they didn't take him, it'd still be a lot of talk show fodder. And the thing about Lamar Jackson, any team that did not get the quarterback, that's when they maybe they go after him. Would you give up two ones the next two years? Yeah, I think you would because you think they're going to be a lot lower than they would have been. The key is how would they do it? They don't have the room right now. To, to he'd have to give him a really long-term contract to prorate that signing bonus so mm-hmm. he could lower his cap figure in the first year. But it would sure – they don't have a lot of big contracts, but they would have to do some maneuvering. So I think if they bypass the quarterback with a second pick and don't do something to try to get Hendon Hooker, well, the fifth quarterback who I think will go in the first round and – it's going to be all about Lamar Jackson. And if they don't get him and you also get to worry about the Ravens matching, then you have Davis Mills and Case Keenum. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then you're starting to scout Caleb Williams and uh, Drake. Was it Drake May? Is that the North Drake Carolina? Drake May, kid? yeah. He threw it his pro day for all his receivers, and they said he's great. Well, he should be great at a pro day. They, <laughs> they all should be. But the fact is both of them are very, very, very – Highly rated going into next season. Yeah. Um, all right. So, John, any other loose ends with the Texans that uh, we need to clean up or anything coming out of the the uh, owners' meetings? Is Washington going to get sold anytime soon? Um, they are, they're open to have that done or almost done by the NFL's next meetings end of May in Minneapolis. But I think I'm also going to write a column about what we're talking about uh, about Lamar Jackson and the quarterback. I'm also thinking of, I've got some ideas I'm kicking around. One, about the very real possibility that the Titans are going to wear Oilers throwbacks against the Texans in Nashville because I hear people just infuriated by that. And I had two people cover the team, Paul Karski and Jim Wyatt, say it has not. They didn't say it's going to happen, but they said they think there's a good chance it does. I think it would be great. It would fan the flames of a rivalry that's never developed like it should have when the Oilers moved to Tennessee. And plus, I just like seeing those old uniforms. Yeah, they're they're badass, no doubt about that. All right, John, um, we've not done for real or fugazi in a while. We're going to do our mailbag on Wednesday this week. We're going to record. We've still got a bunch of questions left over from last week. But if you want to get in, things have changed since last week. Some of them might not be as applicable. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. That's how you email us, and we will hit the mailbag later this week. John, I've got an all-Astros opening weekend overreaction version of For Real or Fugazi. Care to play with me? I care to play with you because I'm going to be writing a column about this too. 
Good. All right. Overreaction for real or fugazi. So you tell me if I'm being, and for those who are new to the segment or new to the podcast, A, welcome in. B, for real or fugazi is a little thing John and I do where I read statements as if they are fact. John agrees with them. Then he says they are for real. If he does not agree with them, if he thinks I'm off my rocker, he says fugazi. Fugazi, Italian for counterfeit. All right, John. Um, Alex Bregman's start to the season, 0 for 16 should have me very, very concerned right now. For real or Fugazi? Fugazi. He started worse than that when he was a rookie. I remember thinking, what in the world is this guy doing in the big leagues? And you know once he starts hitting, he'll get on a roll. Yeah, he is streaky. There is I, The thing I'll say about that, that's a rehash 2016. I remember that. He started out one for 30, I want to say. But I remember, I remember saying on the triple threat, my old afternoon show, I'm like, I know he's one for 30, but he's had some really good at bats. You know, like he, <laughs> he, he did, he made some good contact and he really battled and things like that. He looks, he looks, he looks like a mess right now. He's, he leads the league in strikeouts right now. Swinging a lot of bad pitches, finally yeah. said, making contact. Now it's getting a barrel on the, getting the barrel on the ball. You know, what percentage is the barrel on the ball? I tell you, if you were to ask me this, if it's to be worried about, they had Alvarez out of the lineup. I don't see why you got to rest a guy three games into the season, but that's what Dusty Baker did. And when you do that, that means your last five hitters are almost automatic outs. Yeah. Even when Alvarez is playing, once you get a pass Jose Abreu, they're almost automatic outs until Altuve and Brantley get back. And that's not good. Yeah. Well, you just say, John, you just basically hit two of my future for real or Fugazi's here. So I'll hit these real quick. With the new shift rules, Jordan Alvarez is going to make a run at a triple crown this year. For real or Fugazi? I'll say for real. Why not? He's off to a good start. Did you see that stat? It blows me away the way managers continue to bring in lefties against him, even though they have all the analytics. And the analytics say, going back to the start of the 2022 season, he has more extra base hits against lefties than any other lefty-on-lefty players in baseball. And Kyle Tucker's tied for third, and yet they will always bring in lefties to pitch to them. So both those guys should should benefit immensely from the new shift rule. It's amazing. You're absolutely right. Um, And also, John, uh, until – uh, Jose Altuve or Michael Brantley come back, spots six through nine in the order are going to be a big problem for this team, for real or Fugazi? Well, for real. That's for real big time, yeah. Because if you look who they have, Dusty Baker is enamored of, of Myers. Jake Myers is fine, but ever since last year when he had the back surgery, he hadn't been the same. And Chaz McCormick at least can get some hits and a few home runs. And you wish it second. I'd love to see him just – Leave Hensley in there and see what he could do. Devon, give me a break. And then, of course, the catchers are almost automatic outs. And uh, I'm surprised they've left themselves in that situation. I wish there was somebody in the minors who could come up and hit the ball. But I do like the fact that Hensley is, is, should get more chances because he's kind of streaky. But he seems to bring an energy that Devon does not bring. Yeah. Um, all right, two more, John. The first week for the first time through the rotation with the starters is cause for great concern. For real or Fugazi? Fugazi. You can't base anything on one week. They still, 
I mean, people are going to paint and go Christian Javier, not looking as good. Luis Garcia, Jose Kitty, um, uh, Hunter Brown's pitching Monday night against the Tigers. If they don't, now you ask me this next week if they've been swept by the Tigers, then I'm going to say it's time to hit the panic. Button. Okay. But yeah. uh, you and I are going to the Monday night game to watch Hunter Brown. I'm hoping he'll pick up where he left off last season. Yeah, I, I uh, I'm looking forward to going tonight for sure to the Hunter Brown game. I was you answered you kind of answered my question, but that was gonna. That was going to be my follow-up, John. What is the optimal number of starts before you start to panic a little bit for these guys? I think if you see a guy over a five starts and uh, you, you got to see improvement, and then I don't know what they do. You hope like play, crazy that Lance McCullers is able to pitch by then. But, you know, they're in the long haul. It's like this is not what you do in April and May and maybe not even June, although teams seem to make their big move in June. Yeah, That's when Altuve will be back, hopefully – Brantley and McCullers were back way before that. Yep. Just get to 92 wins. I think 92 is the magic number. They get to 92 wins there in the postseason. And that's what you just want to be in the dance. And then it's all good. Last one. Ryan Presley, after each of his pitches in his only appearance this season, a blown save, was shaking his arm after each pitch. Roger Clemens pointed that out. The arm shaking from Ryan Presley is cause for concern. For real or Fugazi? For real, because he hadn't done it before. Now, if the next time he pitches, if he doesn't do it, then, hey, it's no big deal. But if he keeps doing it, it's like he's shaking without the rattle and the roll. And it's kind of scary. And uh, so I can't wait to see when he makes his next appearance. Now, it's very interesting that guys that Hector Neris and Montoya, those guys were in safe situations instead of Ryan Presley after that first time he pitched. Yeah. And came in and, sh and shook his arm a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's – I'm concerned about I'm, – I'm partially concerned about it because he makes so much money. He makes $14 million bucks a year, and they're committed to him long-term. Hopefully, it, whatever it is, it – yeah, hopefully, whatever it is, it's it's gone, it's out the window, and he turns back into Ryan Presley again. But that was – I did not like seeing that on opening night, seeing him – uh, I say blown save. The save had been blown by Montero already, but Presley came in and gave up the two runs in the ninth inning. That was the final margin of victory. So that was bad. Um, all right, John, what do you got going on on your various platforms? I'm going to have uh, my fourth mock draft on uh, gallerysports.com. I'm also going to have a column with the Texans president, Greg Grissom. We're all talking about the personnel side of the organization, the administrative side, of the organization. You talk about people being fired up about the excitement over D'Amico that helps them sell tickets and sponsorships and club seats. So everybody over there is pumped and they got some new things they're doing on that side of the organization. I'm going to have one about the uniforms, the Titans wearing oil or throwbacks. And then I'll have a couple of draft related columns on sportsradio610.com. Sounds awesome. Sounds awesome. You can get all John's work, sportsradio610.com and gallerysports.com. We thank Figgy Fig, as always, for getting this podcast out to you. John, I enjoyed it, as usual, and look forward to going to the Astros game with you tonight and also doing a mailbag with you later this week and talking to you on Payne and Pendergast on Wednesday. I look forward to it, too. Thanks to our buddy Joe Sutton for inviting us to go to the game and setting the second level uh, right behind Tillman for Tita's seats, even though Tillman's never there. Yeah, by second level, you mean second row, like second, second level, row, yeah. second, second level row. of seats. Like, Tillman would never be in a second level. No, no, no. Yeah, 
he calls Joe Sutton, Joe, the nosebleed Sutton for sitting back in the second row. I don't know if that's true or not, but he should. I'm going to tell him to next time. Um, so we'll be there. Look for us on TV. If you're getting this podcast on Monday afternoon, John and I will be there with all the uh, the Diamond Club folk at the Astro game. So that should be a whole lot of fun. Uh, big thanks again to Figgy Fig for getting the podcast out to each and every one of you. And yes, thank you to Joe Sutton for inviting us to the game. Joe, you're the best. And all of you for listening and uh, subscribing. If you don't subscribe, hit subscribe. You'll get the podcast automatically wherever it is you listen to your podcast. All y'all who download and subscribe and leave good reviews, you're tied for being the best in our hearts and our minds here on the Hugh Football Podcast. Until next, until the next episode later this week, again, mailbag at gmail.com is how you can send us an email. We'll do the mailbag later this week. Until then, have a great week, everybody.